basketball tryouts. They were the highlight and also the terror of every school year. Starting in uh, middle school, I was a runner. I even was a wrestler for one season. But more than anything, I wanted to be a basketball player. And so each and every year tryouts were my opportunity to show my best, to, to give my all, and to try to make the team. And, and so each year's tryouts came. I, I go through the three days, that's how it was at our school, three days of tryouts, of, of showing off your skill, of participating in team drills, showing off your conditioning strength, showing your ability to work on a team. And after three days of, of trying my best and knowing that there were guys who were way better than me, um, after three days I, I remember going each year to the door of the boys' locker room where the coach would post the team list. And I remember scanning that list for my name, hoping to see it on there for, for the team list. And some years, my name was there. And on the years that my name wasn't there, man, I remember exactly what that felt like. The heartache and the heartbreak, because I just wanted to be a basketball player. But, but beyond that, I remember what it felt like to stand there and look for my name and not see it there. And I'd be standing there with a whole group of other guys who were also looking for their names. And I remember those moments where, where they would look at me, and then they would look at the list to see if my name was on there. And uh, I, I remember just being so aware of that. Not only am I dealing with this loss, but everyone's now looking at me and we're all looking at each other, but they're looking at me and, and, and they're going, and it's, it's, it's just like an announcement to the whole school. Dion does not have what it takes to be a basketball player here. Now that's a pretty uh, rough way to feel, right? That you don't have what it takes, that you're not adequate, that you fall short. In basketball tryouts, that's small stuff compared to some of the other stuff in life. Uh, For some of you, maybe that's a a thing that you feel um, consistently, that you don't have what it takes. You are not enough when it comes to your job or uh, maybe when it comes to school. You're constantly in this place of of inadequacy. Um, For a lot of us, that's, that's what relationships can feel like. And we've all felt the pain of of being found to be inadequate in someone else's eyes in a relationship. And maybe someone has said it overtly or they've just uh, made it a little more subtle, but you got the message and, and the message is, you don't have what it takes for me. You are not enough for me. That's painful, isn't it? And I think it's especially painful, this, this feeling of not being enough, of, of not being adequate, of, of falling short of someone's expectations. I think it can be especially painful in our walk with God. And it's a, it's a concern or a suspicion or a worry or a fear that a lot of us carry around. And ironically, this idea that we are not enough, it is, it is actually one of the basic teachings of Christianity that we are not enough on our own, that we all fall short, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, says Romans. And yet, what we often hear as a put down from God is actually meant to be an invitation. When God reminds us that we are not enough, it's, it's an invitation to say, hey, but you don't have to do this alone and I'm willing to join you on this journey and I'm willing to strengthen you and, and you don't have to carry this burden all on your own. And yet, so often, so often, when we read the Bible, when we, when we hear messages at church, when we think about our relationship with God, the question in our mind is, where, where is God? How does he feel about me? What does he think about me? In all of these moments in life where I know I'm not enough. I know 
I'm falling short. Today, that's what we're going to cover, and um, I really hope that you ask some questions, because I know that there are questions we all carry around with us, deep questions, and and that's why this is great. This is anonymous, so no one's going to know it's you. Um, I hope you ask your questions, and you can do that by texting those in to 636-686-0140, and I'll do my best in a few minutes to try to answer those questions um, when we're wondering about, so what does God think of me? Where, Where is God as I'm falling short, and what is his opinion of me? And my ability, or my inability, I should say, not to measure up. Um, But before we get to your questions, I realize that there are probably three main questions that we all wrestle with as we think about our inability to, to, uh, to measure up in life, but also according to God's standards. And um, there are three questions that I think haunt us all the time that we ask ourselves over and over again. And before I answer your questions, I want to deal with these three questions and and maybe this will help. In fact, these are the three questions that I hear David asking in Psalm 38, King David. He's at a place in his life where he's struggling with some stuff. He's aware of his own fallenness and you'll see that in a minute. And uh, as he, as he wrestles through that, as he cries out, you're going to see three questions that he's asking, that he's wrestling with that I think are the same three questions we all wrestle with. Psalm 38. David says, Lord, Do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. There is no soundness in my bones because of my sin. So David's wrestling with some sort of health thing. He's sick. He's uh, he's not doing well. You're going to see that in a minute. Um, And David's also making an assumption as to why, as to why this is happening, why he's not well, why, why he's sick, why there's no health in his body, why there's no soundness in his bones. He's making an assumption that it's because of his sin. It's because he's fallen short. He's very aware of his sinfulness, of his, of, his, uh, of his shortcomings. He goes on. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. So you can hear David's pain and you can also again hear the assumption that he's making and it's an assumption or a question we all ask. I know I ask it in my life when I know, when I'm aware of my fallenness, when I'm aware of my inadequacy in life and also in the eyes of God and I'm also experiencing pain in life or I'm experiencing a difficult season, I tend to connect those dots and one of the questions I wonder about is I wonder when I fall short, am I being punished? Anyone else wonder that? You're aware that you've got some things in your life that aren't how they should be. You're aware of your inadequacies. You're aware of the fact that you don't measure up. You're also aware of pain in your life and you start connecting the dots and you wonder, am I being punished for all of my shortcomings? Then David goes on. That's not the only question he asks. He says, all my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. This guy's desperate. He says, my heart pounds, my strength fails me, even the light has gone from my eyes. Now listen to this, he says, my friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds, because of the sickness that he's experiencing. Um, people People are moving away from him. He says, my neighbors stay far away. Those who want to kill me set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they scheme and lie. And I am now like the deaf who cannot hear. Like the mute. And, and this, is, this is David. 
David's never at a loss for words. David's the guy who's writing songs and poems about God. He's a guy who loves to tell. He's the king, sure, but his real passion is telling people about the goodness and the love of God. And now because of his circumstances, because of his pain, but also because of, because of whatever's going on in his life, his sinful folly, his, his, uh, his shortcomings that he talks about, he says he now feels like a deaf person who cannot hear, more importantly, like a mute person who cannot speak. He's been silenced or muzzled. I've become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. So Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my feet slip. So David is struggling with his circumstances, but he's also struggling with the fact that friends are moving away from him either because he's so sick they don't want to come near or they're making a judgment about him saying, well, man, David, he must be on the outs with God. Let's stay away from that guy. He's under a curse. And meanwhile, his enemies are being multiplied. And the worst part of all of this for David is that he now feels like he's lost his credibility. He's lost his voice to speak about the goodness and the love of God. And again, I don't know about you, but when I'm aware of my shortcomings, when I'm aware of of the pain in my life, I often wonder, have I been disqualified? Have the things that I'm struggling with, my weaknesses, my shortcomings, my, my temptations, my personality flaws, all of that wound up in one, does that, does that steal my voice? Does that disqualify me from being used to speak for God, to, to do anything good for God? something I wonder about when I ponder my shortcomings. I wonder if you do too. And and then finally David goes on and he says, for I'm about to fall and my pain is ever with me. I mean, he's he's thinking this isn't good. um, I'm not going to make it much longer. And so I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many have become my enemies without cause. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil lodge accusations against me. Some of what we just talked about. Though I seek only to do what is good. Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. So David continues to wrestle with the other things he's wrestling with, uh, but he comes down to this place, and, and I bet, I bet you've been there too. I bet you've wondered You've asked this question, you have wondered, when I fall short, when you're aware of your sin, when you're aware of your shortcomings, you wonder, has God moved away? Um, Is is it not just people who are backing away, but does God back away? Is Is he washing his hands of me? Is he tired of me? Is he so bothered by what he sees in me and, and the things I struggle with that he's, he's backing away, he's moving away? Now, again, look at these questions. Uh, tell me in these questions, aren't these the questions that you ask yourself often when you're aware of your shortcomings and especially when you're feeling some pain in life, when those things come together, aren't these the things that you ask yourself just like David? Isn't it comforting to know that you're not the only one? That about 3,000 years ago, there's a guy who was wrestling with the same things. And yet from Psalm 38, we don't get a lot of answers. But thankfully, through the rest of the scriptures, we do. And so to this first question, when I fall short, when I'm wondering, am I being punished? Is the pain that I'm feeling in my life, is that a result of my sin? Is, is this a punishment from God? The answer we get from scriptures is a very clear and definitive maybe. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a confusing issue, um, but actually uh, it's, it's, it's not about punishment. 
What makes it confusing is something else. See, for a long time, Old Testament people, they just kind of believed that if you were suffering, it's because you did something wrong. It was a punishment for your shortcomings. That's what they believed. But then Jesus comes and he walks the earth and he has a different take on all this. I want you to look at John chapter nine. Um, One day Jesus is going along and he's with his disciples and everyone else and they see a man who is blind from birth. I mean, he was born blind. And so his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Notice their question isn't, is this guy being punished for a sin? That's a given in their mind. Their question isn't, did he sin or did someone sin or is this just the result of some natural consequence? In their mind, it is so clear, someone sinned, this is punishment, so who's to blame, his parents or this guy? Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus' answer is neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, when we're in that place where we're aware of our fallenness, and man, you should be aware of that because it's true, it's real, it's inside of you, and we don't do any good by denying that, but when, when you're aware of that and you're looking at the pain in your life and you're wondering, is this punishment from God, you can rest on what Jesus says, that that's not always the case. In fact, I don't think it's ever the case. The whole reason Jesus came wasn't just to make declarations like this, it was to be a living declaration. It was to go to a cross and to take upon himself all of the things that we fear, all of the wrath that we fear being placed on our shoulders. He took it on his shoulders instead. He took it away from us so that we don't have to fear punishment. I hope you know that today. And yet I think what makes it so confusing to us is that There are consequences to our sinful action, natural consequences even. See, if God's ideals, if God's ideals are the best way for us to live, if they are our best shot at wholeness when we choose to reject God's ideals, or even when we're just too weak to fulfill them, then we're opening ourselves up to things that are less than desirable, natural consequences, but not punishment. See, even as David talks about the wrath of God in Psalm 38, Through Jesus, we get a different view of the wrath of God. The wrath of God isn't the anger of God. The wrath of God is the love of God in another form. See, the wrath of God is poured out against anything that threatens the life and the wholeness of his beloved. Just like the wrath of a mother is poured out on anything that threatens the well-being of her beloved children. It's love. It's not anger. And so even the wrath of God through Jesus, we see it differently. It's not about punishment. Sometimes it's about discipline, but, but most often, even when we're experiencing the natural consequences of our sinful action, God invites us to cry out to him. He wants to help us in those circumstances. To the second question, when I fall short, I wonder, have I been disqualified? Man, um, this is a question I feel a lot because here I am doing this job where I'm standing up and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for God and I'm aware that I'm not worthy of this and I wonder how unworthy makes me too unworthy. Um, how unworthy can I be and still be okay to do this? And that's a question I think a lot of us have, not just people who are in the ministry. There was a guy I knew um, up at my last church, and um, he had, in the 1990s, played lead guitar in, a, uh, in an alternative rock band, and they toured nationally. They were actually had lots of radio play. Uh, you would know the name if I told you, if you listened to alternative rock in the 90s, I should say. Uh, you would know the name of the band. And, um, and this guy, he, um, he, he played guitar. He was an amazing musician, and he w- you know, was out on tour, and he did all of the stereotypical things that you might think a guitar player in an alternative rock band might do while he's out on tour. 
And, um, and, 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 and then later on, um, he surrendered his life to Jesus and left all that behind. And he found his way into the church that I was serving at in Michigan. And, um, and for a long time, he refused. We tried to get him to play in our, our uh, band. He was like, You're an amazing guitar player. And he wouldn't. And then after a while, he would play, but he refused to ever, ever do anything too fancy or to you know, show off his skill. He'd only do really, really simple stuff. And we kept asking him, so why, why, why don't, come on, you're an amazing guitar player. Why not use that for God? And the issue was, he had been out on the road, he had been using that gift to um, you know, indulge himself, to, to do dark things, to get women. I mean, all the things stereotypically that a musician might do out on the road. And, and for him, he could not imagine then doing that same, using that same gift for the honor of God. It's like that gift had been tainted and he, he just felt completely disqualified. Now, tell me you haven't been there. And yet in the Bible, there's a clear answer for us. On the subject matter, because there's a guy named Paul, a lot of you have heard of him, St. Paul the Apostle Paul, and he was a guy who wrestled with this issue probably more than anyone else, but because before Paul met Jesus, he actually persecuted Jesus and all the followers of Jesus, and he had people arrested and thrown in prison and even, even killed for their faith in Jesus. And so Paul was constantly um, wondering himself and having other people throw up in his face, hey, you're not worthy of this. Remember what you did? You've been disqualified. And so Paul had to wrestle with this. And here's what he said in 2 Corinthians. Here's what he said. He said, therefore, uh, because God was doing great things in him, he said, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited about all the great things God is doing in me, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. A weakness. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Who doesn't understand that prayer? <laughs> right? Pleading with God to remove some weakness from your flesh, some, some, uh, some temptation, some struggle, some way that you fall short. Just begging God, God, just can you take this away from me? Three times he says he pleaded earnestly with God to take it away from him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, my power, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. What a list, right? Things to delight in, come on. But here's why. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul learned that the very things that he feared disqualified him were the very places in his life where God's power was most clearly seen. That in his weakness, that's where Jesus was made strong. And, st- and so instead of seeing the things that, that you know, he got hung up on as disqualifications, Paul started to look at those as the very things that qualified him. Because those were the places where God's power could be seen, where in Paul's weakness, God was made strong. See, see, the devil has succeeded, and I believe this about us. The devil has succeeded not just in tempting us or, or causing us to do things that we feel bad about. The devil has succeeded in making, in, in muzzling us. And making us believe that because of who we are, because of what we struggle with, because of what we've done, the devil has succeeded in making us believe that we can no longer be useful for anything good, anything holy, anything righteous, that we are, we are disqualified for doing anything great for God. I, and Paul says that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, final question that David wrestled with, that we wrestle with. When I fall short, I wonder, has God moved away? 
Now, this is a question that haunts me. How much is too much? How much of my brokenness is too much? At what point does God just go, man, you crossed the line. I'm done. Because people do that, right? And so at what what point does God do that with me? One of my favorite narratives in in scripture that answers this question is right at the beginning. And I think I actually talked about this in one of the questions last week here in this service. Um, It's in Genesis chapter 3. Um, and it's, it's poetic, it's maybe a little tricky to understand, but I think it's so beautiful. In Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve fall short in a big way. They break the one rule that God put before them, told them not to break, you know, one rule, that's it. And, and they break it, they, uh, they destroy creation, they violate this covenant with God, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible mess. They're off hiding in the weeds, trying to cover themselves with fig leaves, and, and they're brokenhearted, and... And God comes walking into the garden, calling their name. Man, I, I love that picture of a God who is fully aware of our shortcomings, fully aware of our brokenness and sin, and yet doesn't stay away from us. He comes, he comes walking into the garden, calling our names. And then he takes it a step further and he actually looks at their pathetic attempt at making clothes to cover their shame and, and he makes them better clothes. He covers them. And, and I love it. It's so beautiful. It, it describes the character of God, but I especially love it because it makes way. It sets the stage for something God would do thousands of years later. When Jesus would come walking into our sinful world, a world where we were angry and hiding and fighting with God and and trying to cover our own shame and not doing it very well. And Jesus comes walking into that world to cover us with something greater, to cover us with his righteousness, to cover us with his sacrifice. I I love the way that Paul puts it again because he understood the stuff. He wrestled with this in Romans. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... While we were still sinners, while we were in the middle of, 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 our, of, our, of our inadequacy, in that moment, Christ comes walking toward us. He comes into the world and he dies for us. I think a lot of us believe that there's some, there's some tipping point where God says, I'm done with you. But we see in the person of Jesus that even in our moments, our, our worst moments, our moments where we are the most fallen, instead... God comes walking toward us. So look at this list again. Look at these questions. Aren't these the things you wonder? And what I hope today is that you've begun to see God's answers that um, who we want to be and who we're not able to be in all the ways that we fall short in all of our sins and all of our inadequacies. Um, They're not the challenge or the problem for God that we often think. So um, I'll take your questions as we continue to, to, uh, to unravel this, 636-686-0140. When I fall short, how do I know if I've fallen short of God's plan or um, if it's short, if um, my shortfall is part of God's plan? I'm not sure I understand this question. Uh, give me a second. When I fall short, how do I know if I've fallen short of God's plan or is my shortfall part of God's plan? Oh, okay, okay, I, I get it. So is my shortcoming, is my, is my falling short, is that, is that somehow in defiance of God's plan or is that actually part of what God intends for me? Great, this is a really great question and I understand this question. I, mean, I wrestle with this stuff myself. Um, so whenever we fall short of God's ideals, that's never, it's never God's plan. You look at Adam and Eve again in the garden 
God wasn't like, I've got a great plan for this. They're going to fall and it's going to be awesome. Um, right? Um, that's, that's not God's plan. That's not God's plan. And yet God fully knowing what was going to happen already had a plan in place for that. He goes, hey, they're going to mess up big time, but, but I've, I've got this. I've got this covered. I've got, I've got a beautiful way that I'm going to redeem this and make this okay. So um, even when God responds in a powerful way and uses something that we've done and, and he glorifies himself and his powers made perfect in that thing, um, that, that doesn't mean that the initial act of, of falling short of sinning, of whatever it is, um, that doesn't mean that that's, that's God's desire or intention or plan. God's desire, intention, plan is that we would never have to do with this and one day he's gonna come back and make the world better. He's gonna make us better. He's gonna heal all of it so that we don't have to live in all of these shortcomings. But our shortcomings are not too great for God to still work out something beautiful, um, to work out something beautiful anyway. And so when we, when we um, wrestle with this idea, I think for me, it's probably more the place that I wrestle with this is uh, it's more like Paul in, um, in 2 Corinthians, that place of going, so, so, why doesn't, you know, why doesn't God heal me of this? Why doesn't he help me get better with this? And I think sometimes, as we see in Paul, God letting me stay in my fallenness, and again, he didn't cause that, that's not his fault, but him letting me stay in my fallenness and not just wave a magic wand and help me get over it, that's part of his plan. Um, so part of his plan is to not immediately just heal and make everything well, but it's to leave me in this place like Paul was, pleading and saying, God, take this away, take this away. And he goes, no, 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 because I actually, I actually have something better for you than just taking it away, and that is to show you that my grace is sufficient. So again, um, us falling short is never part of God's plan, but I think sometimes we, we get way worked up and we imagine that us falling short is gonna destroy everything and how could God love us and he could never work around this and we attribute way too much power to ourselves. God says, no, it's okay, I, I've got this. And even as you continue to struggle, there may be some places I let you struggle where I, I don't make this easy for you, I don't let this be easy for you, but that's because I'm, I'm doing something greater. I'm teaching you that my grace is sufficient, that my power is made perfect in your weakness, that I can, I can take the biggest mess you can make and I can create something beautiful out of it. And again, I'm not making you make a mess, I'm just letting you do what you do, but I can create something beautiful out of it. I hope that helps. Um, if we can't blame God for letting us fail, how can we credit him for our successes without hypocrisy? I think this question gets to the basic understanding of, of cause and effect. Um, and I feel like we answered maybe a question like this a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's similar, so maybe I didn't do a good enough job answering it then. Um, you know, I think it gets to cause and effect. So um, if, if I choose in my own freedom to do something, that's no one's fault but my own. Um, even, if, you know, even if there are a million reasons as to you know, why I struggle to make good decisions, I'm ultimately the person who makes decisions. And so uh, when I make a bad decision, uh, when I make a, a decision that leads me away from wholeness that hurts me or someone else, when I, when I fall short, just as a basic rule, I can't blame anyone else for that because I'm the one who's responsible for my own, for my own actions. Um, and so to blame God or to blame anyone else, to blame my parents, to blame society, that's, that's, just, that's just not, that's not truthful. That's not being honest. Because we all know people who have had all the same circumstances, the worst parents, they live in the same society as you do, and in a similar circumstance, they made a different decision. Uh, and so for us, whenever it comes to the actions that we take, the blame always must lie squarely on us. And I know that's a hard thing, 
Um, but, but again, you know, like taking the blame for our own actions, taking the responsibility for our own actions, it's a big deal to us. It's not as big deal to God. And so I think we play these games sometimes where we try to shield ourselves from blame or we try to offload it somewhere else because we're trying to like excuse ourselves in the sight of God. God doesn't need your excuses. He's okay with you fully owning your shortcomings and he can, he can work around those things. He's not gonna disqualify you for them. Um, but the reason we can credit him for our successes um, without hypocrisy is because, again, if, if we're honestly owning our own brokenness and the things that we do as our own fault and our responsibility, then, in, and I'll just speak personally, in my own life, as I, as I do this, as I honestly own this, I am constantly surprised at the fact that God can do good things through me, and I know that's not for me because I know what I do when I'm left to my own. I mess things up. I do selfish things. I hurt myself. I hurt others. I make decisions that, that rob me of life and vitality rather than, rather than give it. And so the reason I can credit God for my successes is because it's just mind-boggling to me that me, a person as broken as I am, can, can have anything good come out of my life. And not for lack of trying, just because it blows me away sometimes that, that, uh, that God can... God can do anything good through me. I, you know, I look at all the ways I blunder as a parent and I look at my kids and, and right now they're pretty good kids and I just am like, huh, I don't know how that happened. I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying really hard, but I'm messing up all the time. And, and so I look at that and I go, well, there must be something else. There must be someone else at work in all of this. And for me, because I know the scriptures, I know that's the Holy Spirit who's at work. I know the Father's at work, that, that he's, he's taking my messes and somehow he's, he's using them for good. And I see it as a pastor all the time. You know, when someone says, man, your, your message has helped me so much, I'm just kind of like, man, I, I'll tell you, I work, and this, this may sound like a boast, it's not. I think it's, it's part of my brokenness. I, I think I work harder at this than most pastors at this part of my job, than most pastors you've ever met. And it, it, I say it's part of my brokenness because I think it's almost an obsession for me. It's not always healthy. It's, it's not always good. It, it's, it's, but I work at this so hard. And yet when someone says something to me like, you, you've really helped me or your messages have helped me, even though I work so hard at it, I'm always blown away by that. Because I know that I don't have this stuff right. And I know in my own walk I'm confused. And I'm, and I'm you know, like, I, I'm blown away. And those are, those are just signs to me that... Someone else is at work in all of this. So I think if you're, if you're honest about this first part and you accept responsibility for your own flawed actions, and again, not in a way that shames you or beats you up, I think then you can more clearly see how God, God, God is like, hey, I can, I can use that. <laughs> That's not perfect. That's far from perfect. But I can use that. And he does again and again. And when you, when you see him do that, there's no other answer other than, hey, God did this. And there's nothing hypocritical about that. Uh, where is God when I struggle to know who I need to help first? I continue to serve at my job and uh, my kiddos. I often find that I am not able to help enough people. I feel pulled in every direction, never feeling like I've done enough to make a difference. Whew, does anyone else feel that way? <laughs> like you, man, you're working. You were like killing it. You're doing your best and you're just like, it's, it's, uh, it's never enough. I think that's a common human thing. Uh, then I come home to my own family and I'm often drained. Yeah. Man, this, uh, this hits close to home for me again. I think all these questions do. This, this whole series is just an exercise in showing how messed up one of your pastors is, I think. Um, Cause you're like, he identifies with all that stuff. And I, I do, I do. That's not a, that's not just some false modesty. I really do. Um, 
You know, for, for me, it's learning and really trying to zero in on what can I do, what, what, is, what is it that only I can do? Uh, what are the things, and this is, this is an issue of calling and giftedness, and one of my other obsessions is personality, profiling, and typology, and really understanding my gifts and spiritual gifts and strengths finder and um, Enneagrams, one of my new obsessions, if any of you know about that. And part of, the reason I, part of the reason I do that is because I'm really trying to understand how God has made me and the things that he's called me to do that are really unique to me, things that only I can do. Because otherwise I find myself doing a lot of things that maybe I'm not really gifted to do or I'm not really good at, but they need to be done and so I'm gonna do them and I just wanna pitch in and I wanna help and I find myself being overextended. So part of this for me is, is asking the question continuously, what are the things that only I can do? And I don't mean only as in any person in the entire world, but I mean like in my, in my life, in my sphere, in my family, in my workplace, what are the things that only I can do? And I want to make sure I'm doing those things, those things that God has gifted me to do, the things that, that um, only I can do. And then it means letting go of some of, those, some of those other things. I think all of us need to get better at disappointing people for the right reasons. Um, and we all know this, that people's appetites, their expectations on us, their appetites for us to serve them and help them, they're insatiable. Even the, even the people we love, there, there are more expectations they have on us. Each person in your life has more expectations for you than you can ever possibly meet. You could spend a lifetime, you could make that your life's work of just trying to meet that person's expectations and you will fall short. And that's one person. And then you multiply it by the however many people are maybe in your household and people at, at work. And, and so I think um, in, in understanding who I am and what I'm uniquely positioned to do and the things that only I can do, I also have to get better at, at just being okay with disappointing people and saying, hey, I, I can't do that or I'm not good at that or that's, that's not my place because I'm really focused on this. Uh, Pastor Ryan Peterson, who used to be here, one of his favorite sayings is, um, in order to say no, I've got to have a really big thing to say yes to. Or he maybe said it more eloquently than that. But uh, that was the gist of it. That um, until I know my yes, and I've got a clear yes in mind of what I'm saying yes to, then I'm going to have a hard time saying no to anything. But when my yes is clear and I know exactly what it is that I'm supposed to do, and, and I, I know that doesn't make it easy. You've got to do some wrestling here because you're dealing with work and family and kids. And, but it's really figuring out, so what am I trying to say yes to? And that may clarify all the things that I, I need to begin to say no to. See if we can get one more in here. Uh, where is God when I continue the same behavior I know is wrong, yet no bad consequences? Uh, does God no longer care? Yeah, I, th- I, I think um, sometimes it's, 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 gosh, this is a question. <laughs> sometimes I think God in his mercy, he's patient with us. Uh, and I, I felt this in my own life that I'm continuing the same behavior. I know it's, it's wrong, it's bad, it's destructive, and yet nothing's happening. And, and there's this mind game you start to play. We're like, okay, well, is this, is this some sort of approval? It's kind of tacit approval. It's not a declaration, but God must be okay with it because it looks like I'm okay so far. Um, and often in my life, I've, I've mistaken that, and I think this is where you're coming from too, whoever asked this question. I'm mistaking that for God's approval, and that's not what it is. That's the patience of God. That's the kindness of God. Um, and God, and, and Jesus says this, that even we look at this broken world and we're saying, Jesus, why don't you come back and heal this? He says, it's because I'm being patient. And I don't, I, don't want, I don't want anyone to perish. 
And so I'm giving you time to wrestle through this. Um, and so this, this absence of consequences or, or God um, you know, hitting you hard is God being patient with you, trying to encourage you to wrestle through this, to trust him, to listen to his word, to turn away from that, to, to repent from that. Repentance is just turning away, right? It's saying, nah, I'm, not, I'm, not gonna, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going away from that. I'm turning toward life again. I'm turning toward God and I'm gonna trust what he says. Uh, it's God giving you the opportunity to do that. But here's where it gets confusing is that sometimes there is a moment and I, I, don't, I don't know what it is that God sees. Maybe it's before this is a really, this, this thing in my life is about to claim me. And I'm not just going to be in partial bondage. I'm going to be totally enslaved to this thing. Sometimes then God brings the bottom up on you and you get caught or something happens and you start to feel the pain of your actions. And that's another way that God in his love is helping us break free from things that are bringing death to us to turn us back to life. That's a much more painful way to go. And so uh, uh, God in his kindness waits, he waits, he waits. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna tell you there's a day that's coming if what you're doing is, is clearly wrong, if it's really in violation of what God has, uh, has called you to live as a, as a whole way of life, a day is, a day is coming when, uh, when there will be consequences. And God in his mercy is, is gonna be using those to turn you back to life because he wants, again, this the wrath of God. It's the love of God poured out against anything that gets in the way of your wholeness. And so um, there'll be a moment when that happens and it's gonna be painful. It's not because God isn't good. It's not because he's punishing you. It's because he gave you time and, and, and tried to let you work through it and you didn't. And so now he's gonna step in and up the ante to get you to turn back to life because he doesn't wanna see you hurting yourself or others. Um, so <laughs> the answer is, and, and I know this is tough and maybe this is where you need help. You need to reach out to someone. You need to share or confess this behavior to, to someone safe in your life, a counselor or pastor, someone who's not going to judge you, but is going to listen and absolve you. Um, th- this is the moment for you to wrestle through this before the consequences come. Um, but either way, God, God, is, God is trying to help steer you toward things that bring life, not, not things that bring death. And with that in mind, um, here's what I want to do. I want to give you time as we've been wrestling today with this question of our shortcomings. Uh, I hope for you, if you're an honest person, if you've been paying attention, um, I hope that there's been kind of a, a highlight reel going through your mind of all of the different ways that you fall short, all the things that you struggle with, all of the, all of the temptations that, that um, often just seem to own you. And, and I hope that's been coming to the forefront of your mind today. Um, because what I just said is, is true, that when we wrestle with those things, the, the healthiest, the best thing that we can do is to turn to God with those things. Um, he's, he's already pressing in on us, remember? Adam and Eve in the garden and Jesus comes walking in calling their names. Today, God is calling your name. Jesus is calling your name. And he's saying, here, here, you, you've made a mess of some things in your life and you're struggling with this, but I'm, I'm here to help. I'm here to forgive and to strengthen and to heal and to, and to show you my grace is sufficient. But in order to really grab hold of that, in order to, I think, experience the power of God, we, we've got we've to turn and face him. We've got to have a, an encounter, a conversation. So today, that's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I'm going to give you a minute or so. 
And I want you to go before God and just acknowledge what he already knows. Acknowledge the ways that you fall short and invite him in to that with his power and goodness and mercy. Take some time.